Let's get real. This is America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, welcome to a brand new episode of America WK. This is your friend and host, Andrew WK, bringing you our 13th episode, lucky number 13. I personally have felt that 13 is a very interesting number, very exciting and significant number, and I have personally made efforts to reclaim it from its associations with bad luck. And with that in mind, I've always been interested in looking at these other sources of bad luck or these superstitious interpretations of significant and interesting phenomenon, whether it's a certain animal encounter like a black cat walking across your path, whether it's having um, unusual movements beneath tools like a ladder, or a very frightening and shattering experience like a broken mirror. I mean, that's just an intense experience either way. It's, it's not surprising that if you break a mirror, which is most likely going to be very loud, it may be painful, it may even involve some sort of injury or blood, uh, at the least it's a significant event. So why so often have we attached a bad meeting or an unlucky association to significant and powerful or interesting experiences, things that don't happen that often, things that we notice when they do happen. Let us not have to always pass judgment on these sorts of experiences, whether they be reoccurring numbers or strange encounters. They don't have to be an omen of anything good or bad. They can simply be interesting. And cannot our own creativity come into play? And we decide how to interpret these experiences for ourselves. I think that we deserve the right to find our own life interesting and to interpret it in a way that is meaningful and interesting to us. And to find significance not just in these traditional or classical examples, such as numbers or animals or certain other dramatic events, but even in the much smaller and more personal aspects of our lives that maybe only we would notice or understand and maybe wouldn't be worthwhile or significant to anyone else, that we get to interpret what's happening to us. And if we want to interpret some of those events as unfortunate or a sign of misfortune or a sign of bad luck, let us do that. But let us choose to do it rather than get swept away in sort of a blind fear. Believing in bad luck is perfectly okay, but let us understand why we're believing in it and how and where it comes from. Because actually, if you research the number 13, it's not necessarily even bad luck in terms of how the number came to be notorious. It involved very significant dates in the past, even Friday the 13th in one example. It involved uh, the 13th number person in a very significant group, historical group, and uh, something maybe bad that they did or maybe bad that led to something good. It's hard to even judge these events 
looking back. But certainly, we can say that the number 13 is just a very powerful number. There's just something about it. Even if we tried or were able to strip away all the previous associations we have with it, it still remains just interesting. There's something about that number. Maybe it is just due to hearing about it and feeling it for so long as being significant, like a horror movie title, or just a, a general sign of something being off. I mean, they build buildings without 13th floors to this very day. And I guess they just figure, why not play it safe? Just in the remote chance that this number really does have some type of supernatural significance. Let's just play it safe. Well, certainly numbers are significant, and it's okay, and it's exciting, and it's, 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 it's worth our while to let ourselves feel them. And it's interesting just to think about numbers in that regard. That numbers in some very tangible way represent truth. It's a very immediate and tangible way to access truth. There's a truth in numbers. It could be said that numbers are put on top of reality or truth, that they are a way to map out, chart, and describe an otherwise indescribable and unmappable terrain, that they don't necessarily exist outside of our mind or conception. I mean, does a number exist in its own objectively? That's hard to, to even really imagine. But either way, Numbers certainly do seem to line up with aspects of nature, of the world around us. They seem to help label and describe and break down and organize what we know as the world. And so in that way, they are keys to understanding. And there is probably an endless amount of insight that we can gain from studying numbers in every which way we can imagine. From very pure mathematics to the more artistic and even spiritual interpretations of numbers. They are very simple, but deceptively simple, and endlessly intriguing field of study. And if we don't necessarily feel compelled to get into math or numbers... We can certainly, as I was saying in the very beginning of our show today, certainly allow ourselves to remain interested and don't feel the need to cast aside certain numbers or discount certain numbers or misinterpret certain numbers or judge certain numbers. We can just enjoy them and notice them. So this is episode 13. And on today's show, I want to focus on Really, it's actually a topic that was written in about to my advice column. And it was so moving to me, the question that I was asked and the field of life that it illustrates, that I decided I'd like to go into it even more, even more than I was able to in my writing, in my answer to the advice column, to the person who asked this question. I want to expand on it even further in today's show. And if I tried to put a title on this idea, it would be some type 
of breakthrough. It would be the phenomenon of transformation, a transformative experience that you or someone has in life, or perhaps the entire process of life being one giant unfolding breakthrough. That every small breakthrough, every personal revelation is part of one larger ultimate realization of truth. And that maybe life itself, the entire experience, is a breakthrough. Breaking through from one place to another. Coming through. Seeing through. Emerging into the world and into understanding through that process. So I want to get into that with you and share some stories, some ideas, some experiences of my own and others. And discuss this, how we can appreciate the breakthroughs that we have, how we can encourage them, how we can prepare ourselves, prime ourselves to be ready for them, and to notice them when they happen, and to be able to make the most of what they have to offer us, and offer the world around us. Because I feel very strongly that whatever breakthrough we have is a breakthrough that's happening to everyone, even if they don't realize it. Someone else's transformative experience must in some way reflect on others. So that's today's show. We're going to get into it. I'm very excited to be with you. Thank you for tuning in again. This is America WK. Please stay with me. I'll be right back. America WK with Andrew WK, the undisputed king of partying. On the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. A lot of people have noticed. Okay, this guy's writing 46 letters to these offenders who've committed felonies and hasn't so much as mentioned Catherine Steinel. Hasn't mentioned the woman who was shot and killed for no reason. Well, it's, you know. just randomly in San Francisco with this uh, five-time deported illegal alien. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK. And on today's show, we're focusing on breakthroughs, transformative experiences that have happened to you, or because of the massive power of these experiences, they could actually happen to someone else and in turn happen to you. That is the magnitude of a true breakthrough experience, is that its, its energy, its power, its, uh, its meaning is so deep and so strong that actually it happens to everyone. It's hard to fathom this type of idea, but we can think of examples. We can think of an event that at one point occurred to perhaps just one person or a small number of people. 
But for whatever reason, the the depth of its significance was so vast that it spread and resonated and in fact even grew and happened and continues to happen to many people. This would be a hallmark of religious experience. And in, the many, in many ways, the nature of a transformative experience is a religious experience in that it's a spiritual experience. It's something that happens on the inside. And if it is brought upon the person by an outside event, an event occurring in day-to-day life, the impact that it has is certainly inward. And once that powerful experience is absorbed and processed by the inner life of that person, it then bounces back out. It is then transformed and put back out into the world. And maybe that's a situation in which the outside world and the inside world, the material world and the spiritual world are perhaps at their best because they're working together to cause some kind of beneficial progress in the individual, which that person is then able to share with so many others. I mean, a a great example, of course, would be the type of euphoric, revelatory experience that a spiritual person has, which is so powerful and so life-changing that in many ways they felt that they weren't even alive before it happened. They thought of themselves as being a full-fledged person, a fully realized individual going about their business day to day, but this experience completely changed that. It changed everything. In fact, then they were reborn. It's as though their life started at that moment. And this type of breakthrough experience doesn't even need to be a physical experience from someone looking from the outside watching this experience happen to an individual might not notice anything remarkable occurring it may there may not be a big flash of light that they can see there may not be some overwhelming presence that they can feel but to the individual for which this is occurring personally it is complete transformation their life before and their life after are as different and as separated as anything could be and they're often compelled to share the power of that experience with others and even if they don't necessarily make a conscious effort to run around telling everybody they can about what just happened to them, it seems as though it somehow spreads regardless. And this is the power of that inspiration. What is it that comes down or comes up or comes across, comes through into that person that makes them change their life entirely? How do we invite that? Can we even invite that? Can we ask for that? Can we want that to happen to us and then have it happen? It, of course, seems like it happens on its own accord. It seems it's almost like a a UFO sighting. 
And that's actually a very good example because many people that have had what we would call paranormal experiences describe them in a similar way. They're forever changed. They cannot fully explain to someone who hasn't had a similar experience what it felt like or what it did to them or how it altered their view. But clearly you can feel the intensity of the experience just by hearing a person try to describe it, try to share it. And who wouldn't want a significant event in their life like that? It's very desirable. You want to feel that power. And that's why in some mysterious way, it does appear that what happens to one person in one of these breakthrough transformative experiences seems to happen to us too. What happens to them happens to me, happens to you, even if we don't realize it. And I'm just going to leave that there because I don't know how to really explain that. We can only give examples. And this is a perfect example I'm going to start with because I mentioned to you that this whole episode in terms of a theme is inspired by the latest question that I was asked in my weekly advice column. I write a weekly advice column for the Village Voice. I've been doing it for uh, coming up on, um, I guess, a year and a half now. And these questions that I prefer to answer focus on life in very broad and very intense ways. Uh, I get the occasional uh, work question and the occasional relationship question. But oftentimes, uh, I try to encourage folks to write in about the less tangible and the less penetrable uh, ideas. And certainly we can always explore those more elusive ideas through the more commonplace, but sometimes it's good just to tear into them and to encourage ourselves to think on that level. So this week, I received a question that involved an unfortunately all too familiar situation for many people. The choice to sacrifice or to a large degree give up or alter your current life in order to devote yourself to helping someone else. In many cases, a loved one. In this case, in the question I received, a young woman who decided to drop everything to move back home and help her ailing mother. In this situation also, their relationship had not been the best. The daughter seemed to have gone to great efforts to remove herself from her mother's presence once she was an adult and uh, escape what was described as a living hell. So there may have been some emotional abuse there. So her choice to go back and give up in many ways the dreams that she was pursuing on her own, in her own life, on the other side of the country, to go and move into her old house with her mom to try to be there for her. This in itself, this choice, and every moment that follows is a breakthrough. This is a type of transformative experience, extraordinarily challenging one. 
This is America WK. We're going to keep going with this. I'm Andrew WK. Please stay with me. We'll be right back. Thank you. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Matt Walsh. But then this thing with Bruce Jenner happened. Uh, ESPN announced its plans to honor uh, Miss Mr. Jenner with uh, the Courage Award at this year's SB ceremony. Only one person in sports gets the Courage Award, and they decided to give it to Bruce Jenner, who, by the way, is not only not courageous, but not in sports. So there are two problems with it. Matt Walsh. Available on demand anytime at theblaze.com slash radio. The undisputed king of partying invites you to a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK. So glad to be with you as we talk about breakthroughs. Personal, transformative experiences that are so profound that they force you to completely reevaluate life, to reprioritize life. In fact, you don't even have to reprioritize it. It's been reprioritized for you. And the example that really illustrates this very well that we were just talking about was a young woman who, despite having a very difficult relationship with her mother for many years, And despite having an entirely new life that she built for herself to pursue her own dreams, her own goals, her own ambitions, dropped everything and moved back home to take care of her mother who had become ill. Now, I don't know the details of this. This was written in as a question to my weekly advice column in the Village Voice. But I actually have a few friends that have been in similar situations who without any hesitation, abandoned what they would call their life, meaning their circle of friends, their home, their job, their interests, to go and devote themselves to something that had nothing to do with that life. Now, of course, a friend or a family member in need certainly has a lot to do with your life. But this is where the breakthrough becomes very clear. What we thought of as life, what we thought of as important, what we thought of as worth our time and energy, is suddenly shifted. And I think that's one of the most core factors in these types of personal breakthroughs, these transformative experiences, is that all of a sudden there's an undeniable clarity And perhaps at that moment, when a person decides to devote themselves to something that seems to not involve their interests at all, that perhaps at that moment, they are for the first time living real life, that that is what life is all about. And talk about a test, talk about a moment of challenge. This is where people see what they are made of. 
And everyone that I've seen who has accepted this challenge and passed the test had their character improved and developed and enlightened in ways that no other personal ambitions could have delivered to them. It was somehow in such a contradictory way the choice to not do what they really thought they wanted and to do something that they needed to do or should have done that allowed them to rise to this higher level, that initiated them into a different realm of being, to be a better person. And it seems as as though some force outside of themselves, some force that did not involve what they felt like doing or their dreams or goals, some other force stepped in and compelled them. That is true inspiration. And it's strange because so often the people we see being celebrated, being rewarded, being lauded with praise, are oftentimes the people who have not ever, from what we can tell, sacrificed very much of themselves or ever compromised their own desires or goals to help anybody else or do anything other than pursue their own interests. I can relate to this very much myself, and I'm not proud of this. That's why I'm so blown away, so impressed by those people who are, are moved to live this different life. And it's frightening. It really is. It's, it's, it's so challenging to imagine giving up all those selfish desires, especially when, again, we, we see society reward those people who are ruthless, that will do whatever it takes, no matter what the cost, to get what they want, that will step over anyone or anything in the process of achieving their dreams and their goals, as though that is the most important thing. And in many ways, that is admirable in terms of their commitment, in terms of the focus, in terms of the dedication and work ethic, but dedicated to what and to what end? It's when someone's dedication is completely inverted and put outside themselves that we really see this different level of being, different level of individual. It's a different kind of human. And why aren't these people celebrated? It almost goes hand in hand. I mean, of course, we have examples of famous and respected heroes whose compassion and selflessness has been recognized and followed as an example by millions of people. But most of the time, and it seems to be inseparably bound to this phenomenon, that you don't get any recognition or praise at all. That almost part of doing this type of work, of devoting your life to someone other than yourself, that part of that is that you will not be thanked for it. You will not be recognized for it. That you will not be rewarded in a material way or with attention or with praise from the people around you, especially strangers and the general public. That almost is part of the test because you're not doing it to get anything. You're not doing it to be recognized. That's uh, one of the final steps, I imagine, in approaching life on this level is 
releasing the need to even be recognized for doing it. I mean, that's, again, very hard to even imagine, that after all this sacrifice, no one even cares. And maybe even the person you're helping doesn't care. I've heard from a few of my friends that have devoted themselves in this way that the person they devoted themselves to actually didn't really treat them very well. That uh, this young woman who's going to help her sick mother, who has treated her, you know, not with very much kindness in the past, the mom might still not be very kind to her. She might still be abusive to her. And yet the daughter may continue to serve her. This is a different type of life. This is a different way to look at the world. And just me thinking about it right now and talking with you about it is somehow impacting my own view. It forces me to reconsider how I've behaved, how I've spent my time, who and what I've devoted myself to. Of course, that is not the same as actually doing it. But that's what's so powerful about these experiences is that they do challenge other people. And it's almost because of their remoteness, their humbleness, that they're not done on a big grand scale for a lot of attention that makes them that much more powerful. The small power, which is in fact deeper and more significant because of its smallness. The person who does what they do because it is the right thing to do no matter what. In these situations, this might be the first time they have this level of clarity ever. Where finally, what they are supposed to do is undeniable. This is America WK. We're talking about breakthroughs. I'll be right back. This is America WK, hosted by Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show. Now, the University of Missouri broke down the types of drunks into four distinct categories. Uh, and this, of course, was published in the Addiction Research and Theory. And, pff, I mean, who doesn't go over that? Scientists surveyed 187 pairs of undergraduate drinking buddies. Now, the findings, you were either a Hemingway, Mary Poppins, Nutty Professor, or Mr. Hyde Drunk. The Jeff Fisher Show. Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. This is America WK with Andrew WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK, and we've been talking about breakthrough experiences, some sort of life encounter, life decision, that at that moment, your life has changed. And in fact, it was such a profound change that it may even change the lives of of the people around you, that it resonates, that it is amplified, in fact, by others considering and reflecting on your decision. And we were just giving the example of the person who gives up their own interests, their own pursuits, and to some level their own dreams to go and serve someone else, like a sick family member without any reward or accolades, perhaps even through a very unpleasant type of relationship, 
And it doesn't mean they didn't weigh their options, but there was something so clear, a type of clarity where for the first time, there's almost a relief in how straightforward and clear the decision is. It doesn't mean it makes the decision easier or that the task at hand and the work will be easier, but there's something about these transformative experiences that is defined by their clarity where there is no doubt in the person's mind about what must be done. And there is some sort of comfort in that. So much of our life is full of confusion, of too many options, of too many possible choices, each one competing and conflicting with the other. Finally, in these situations, there are no other options. There is one way to be one thing to do, and maybe that one thing is finally reality, is real life, is actual real life. An example that uh, really moved me from fiction is in the great classic story, and also musical and movie and many other things, a uh, whole brand at this point, but the original story of Les Miserables, by Victor Hugo. And I first was told this story, I think, in preparation for going to see the musical as a much younger person. I didn't really understand the story. The story for a very young child can be somewhat complicated. There's a lot of characters. I really liked a lot of the music, and I liked sort of the spirit, the dramatic spirit of the songs. My parents listened to the recording of the musical a lot, and then eventually went to see it, I think in Canada, actually. But uh, I still wasn't really able to grasp the story that much until the sort of initial transformative experience of Jean Valjean was explained to me. Now, Jean Valjean is really the main character. The other main character is a cop, Javert, I believe his name is, who is pursuing, whose whole life, in fact, has been devoted to pursuing Jean Valjean. And there's just an endless amount of incredible illustrations of character, of principles, of virtues in this, this tale. It's very powerful. And uh, even just reading a summary of the plot is, is better than, than nothing. Well, as a very young person, who had trouble grasping this storyline. I think the fact that it was based in France did not make it any easier for me. But my mom explained to me that this Jean Valjean character was sort of a, well, he was a, he was a convicted criminal who had had a very hard life in his younger years and had made some bad decisions, but they were made in circumstances of great distress, he felt he had no other options except to become a criminal in, in, in some way. I believe he stole some bread. But the part that really struck me is that he goes at one point and is given shelter in a very charitable way by a kindly old priest, I believe, in the midst of his travels as he's, I think, just getting out of prison and trying to start building his own life again. 
And he takes refuge one night with this priest who is the epitome of virtue, of selflessness, of generosity, of kindness, who feeds Jean Valjean and gives him a bed and he bathe and take care of himself for however many nights he stays there. It may have just been one night. And Jean Valjean is not necessarily the most gracious guest either. He's a bit suspicious. His soul has been battered by his time in prison. And as he's leaving, he manages to steal, I believe, some silver candlestick holders, something of significant value, and is leaving the priest's house and gets away, only to be apprehended a short time later, at which point the arresting officers take him back to the priest's house in order for the priest to officially accuse him of the theft. And this is the moment of transformation. The priest gives him the candlestick holders and says that all along he had given them to Jean Valjean. He did not steal them. He lied, actually. He committed a sin in a, in a way in order to help Jean Valjean in the moment when he was most expected to turn against him, especially after the fact that this priest had already shown him such kindness and generosity, only to have it thrown back in his face by the guy stealing from him on his way out the door. Of course you'd expect this priest to be completely irate, to throw him back in prison, which the cops expected as well. When you keep going on this, don't go away. This is America WK. Stay with me. A party for being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. A pissed off papa from New Mexico is arrested after shooting his son over who could speak Spanish and English better. 51-year-old Robert Chavez is in mucho trouble after an alcohol-fueled fight with his 23-year-old son turned muy dangerous. Chavez argued with his son over who was the better bilinguist, and after failing to come to a conclusion, the locoed lad left the room and looked for his gun. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK, and we've been talking today throughout the entire episode about transformative breakthrough experiences, spiritual moments of revelation, personal moments of clarity in which the truth and, and sincere purpose in life is revealed to someone more or less in one grand moment. And we were talking about uh, a great example of this in Les Miserables, in which this kindly, generous priest character, I believe he's a priest, had just taken in Jean Valjean, this uh, recently released prisoner who had been convicted for stealing bread, and been in prison for a very long time, considering it was just bread. 
who was suspicious and resentful and confused about life and was taken in for a short time by this priest and given food and clothing and a bath and a bed. And at the very end of his stay there, he stole from the priest. He was quickly apprehended and brought back to the priest for the priest to accuse him and sent him back to prison. And the priest said, no. The priest said, he didn't steal from me. I gave him those things. To the surprise of everybody, to the surprise of the police, certainly to the surprise of Jean Valjean. And to the surprise of me, a young boy who was being told this story, uh, having some of these pivotal moments in the story of Les Miserables explained to me, this blew my mind. This idea, I don't think I had ever considered this type of behavior before. I thought of justice in a very clear way. I thought I understood that if someone did something bad, that you had to hold them accountable and punish them. And I certainly would have expected that when Jean Valjean had stolen from this very nice man who had already gone out of his way to be so generous and kind and to trust Jean Valjean, that he would be very disappointed in, in having his candlestick stolen and would, you know, say, that's the last straw. I tried to be nice to you. I gave you a chance and you threw it back in my face. This priest's generosity was endless. He was elevated. He was living in a different life, in a different world. He was being compelled by an endless amount of compassion. It didn't just stop when someone trespassed against him. It, it went deeper than that. It was infinite. And Jean Valjean was so blown away by this that he basically reinvented his life at that moment. And perhaps this was the first time that he had ever considered the fact that someone could be that kind, that someone could extend that level of love to him, even when he didn't deserve it, when he hadn't earned it, when he had done everything to not earn it, to deserve scorn and distrust and even hatred. And yet the priest felt none of those things towards him and bent over backwards all over again to show him kindness. This transformed Jean Valjean. And as a young child hearing the story, it transformed me. This experience was so profound that even in a fictional story, it happened to me. It changed the way that I looked at the world. Something came into me from that book, from this writer, from so long ago, that was as urgent and as present and as relevant at that moment as it is even now telling you these years later. In fact, perhaps even more so. Perhaps it, its relevance and urgency and importance grows even stronger. It's even more palpable. I'm even more moved by that idea now than when I first heard it. I, these ideas are perpetual. They reveal themselves to you. What they symbolize grows as you grow. And instead of moving away from the profound impact of that initial idea, it only develops and becomes stronger. That's something uh, interesting about life in general, is that the most profound and pure truths in life never get old, never get stale, never get 
played out. They're always before you, in front of you, presenting themselves to you in an endless pageantry of brilliance. And you realize that your own development and your own growth allows you to see even deeper into them, these truths, as they flower and blossom. And your reward is even deeper understanding. It's a nature of truth that it can never fully be comprehended. It is endless in its depth. But you can always go deeper and deeper and deeper into its glory, its brilliance. And those moments of sort of superhuman kindness, a kindness that goes far beyond what we think of as generosity. It's illogical, really. It, it, it goes into a realm beyond reason, beyond what we would consider fair or just. It doesn't make sense. These types of mind-blowing, transformative experiences don't make sense in what we consider sort of day-to-day -day rational life. But that's very telling and a little concerning in a way because perhaps that means we have it all wrong or to a large degree we're confused about what sense really is. If someone said that a young woman giving up what she knew of her life to go and devote herself to her sick mother despite their hard relationship, someone might say that doesn't make sense for that young woman to do. But in this other way that is very strong and very pure, it makes more sense than anything else. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the one thing out of a very confusing and senseless world that does actually make sense. It's a painful and challenging type of sense, but at least it makes sense. Maybe that is true life right there. That's how you can tell. The priest giving Jean Valjean these candlesticks that he had stolen from him or explaining to the cops that, no, no, he didn't steal them when in fact he did. I gave them to him, which in fact he hadn't, but covering for him, that didn't make any sense at all. But in a bigger way, it was the only thing that made sense. It was the, tr the truest situation, despite the lies. It was the truest thing for that priest to do. These experiences stay with us because they're pointing at some type of true sense. They're reminding us of some type of clarity within all the confusion. We want to have that type of clarity. We are longing for a sense of purpose and direction that is so pure that it cannot be doubted. Who wouldn't want to follow that? It gives a center to your life. Even, again, when it's challenging. I think because it's so challenging that, that most of us don't want to go there. It's hard to imagine living that way for many of us, including me. It requires a complete reevaluation, doing a new inventory on life. But as we are contemplating this, we understand that not only is it a good thing to do, it might be absolutely crucial to do. The sooner the better. 
I have many other examples of this, and I want you to think, before I tell these other stories, what examples you have from your own life, either that you've experienced, I, I completely could be uh, far behind personally, you may have already gone through, you may be in the midst of one of these experiences right now. And of course, I would only wish for you to be. Even if it is painful, I, I admire you greatly just for putting yourself forward. It takes courage to live in this true reality. It takes a lot of heart. And that's what we admire. This is America WK. I'll be right back. This is America WK. Featuring Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo. We live in troubled times. As a result of left-wing ineptitude, America has a dangerously reduced standing around the world. Back home, extremist liberals work to turn the government against we the people. President Obama should be made to understand a society's worth isn't measured by how much power is seized by its government, but rather how much power is reserved for its people. Chris Salcedo. Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. We've been talking about moments of breakthrough, personal transformative experiences. Those times in one's life, those elusive times that may never happen to someone directly. Other folks may have a whole sequence of breakthroughs. But I believe probably for most of us, we experience breakthroughs secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, fifthhand, through the examples of others. As we've already discussed, when a breakthrough happens to someone, if it's strong enough, it actually can happen to many people through that person. Or maybe there's many micro-breakthroughs that all add up to one large breakthrough. As we discussed earlier, the process of living itself might be considered a breakthrough. That the entire experience of existence is really a transformation from birth until we go into the next realm at what we call death. And we talked about how these moments, these breakthroughs, are notable and remarkable because of their clarity, their devastating, overpowering clarity. And we gave the example of in Les Miserables, how this very generous priest who had already bent over backwards to accommodate a stranger, uh, a criminal no less, Jean Valjean, had then seen that same guy steal from him on his way out the door and bent over backwards all over again to say that, no, he didn't steal from me. I gave him those candlesticks as the police were trying to arrest him again. That that moment for Jean Valjean was perhaps the first time he was even alive. 
what we would call fully alive, that in that moment of unimaginable generosity and selflessness, that he experienced real life. Now, it's hard to divide life up into real life, not real life. But what we mean, or what I'm trying to say by real life, is again, this kind of setting aside of all other concerns, all other nonsense and drama and confusion in favor of this undeniable certainty that is so strong and so up close, so in your face, that it has to be recognized as something more true or something deeper or more real than everything else. Everything else has value in its own way, even if it's just to teach us to avoid it. But those moments of clarity stand out for a reason. They're trying to tell us something. Another example, and perhaps you've been able to think of some examples of your own life or of other people's that really stayed with you. One that's really stayed with me, and it's not a specific single instance, but this is a phenomenon that occurs, seems over and over again, is when someone in a very instantaneous, spontaneous moment decides to give their life over or to risk their life to help someone else. And the videos that I have seen of these moments are so striking and so powerful that you can't shake it from your mind. And actually, I encourage you, if you haven't seen these videos before, to look them up on the computer. Sometimes they're written as uh, sort of a category of video, restoring one's faith in humanity. And that's just a great concept in general. And any videos you find within that heading are going to be uh, equally moving in different ways. But I think maybe it was from uh, having lived in a place with subways for many years in New York City, these subway platforms, but all around the world, of course, there's these train stations. And there are many videos of complete strangers risking their life and unfortunately, at some times, giving their life to pull someone else or try to pull someone else out of harm's way in a train situation. Now, it could be a car. It could be any number of life-threatening scenarios. But there is something about uh, the train platform where someone has fallen or intentionally jumped in front of a train only to be pushed out of harm's way, maybe again, even against their wishes, by a stranger that is just very intense. I think it's because of how formal a train setting is. It's not like a car on a road. Train stations are these designated areas where everyone's going to wait for the train, then people are going to get off. The train's going to come oftentimes roaring into the station, depending on how far up the platform you are. The train is very, very large, much bigger than any car, even a semi-truck. It's very heavy. It's very loud. And of course, it's very intense to imagine someone intentionally trying to jump onto the tracks, or again, even if they accidentally fell. But it's even more intense when you see a stranger, someone who has no idea who this person is, 
who just flung themselves or just fell onto the tracks. And without a moment's hesitation, there couldn't be a moment's hesitation because there isn't time to hesitate. Something took over inside of them or from outside of them and compelled them to try to save this person. For no, for what reason? No one was immediately going to give them a million-dollar reward. No one was going to necessarily celebrate them or uh, give them some kind of uh, accolade or a medal. Most people don't ever really know who that person was. And in some situations, that person dies in their efforts to save this stranger. What is going on in that situation? What moves someone? Where does that force come from? It's hard to say, again, that it's coming from their mind because there isn't necessarily time to think. If you've heard people talk about these experiences, they often explain that they didn't even think before they even thought, before they knew what they were doing, before they even could process what was happening, they found themselves jumping on the tracks and pulling this person to safety. And in some situations, in fact, in many ways, in all of these situations, without meaning to disrespect any other achievements that this person may have made, that moment when they gave themselves over to that emergency, that event that called upon them to do something truly heroic, that may be the best thing that that person ever did in their entire lives. And it involved no planning it involved no scheming or strategizing. There was no forethought in it. They somehow were just open to being useful and when they were needed. How can we encourage that within ourselves? And it doesn't need to be in such a death-defying or risky way as pulling someone off the train tracks. But how can we see that in other situations? Who can we pull off the train tracks metaphorically? How can we be that useful? How can we be open enough to feel that power and that force and let it take over us without a moment's hesitation? When we don't need to even think about what to do. When it's so clear that before we even have a chance to figure it out, we're already in the midst and doing it. How can we incorporate that into our life. This is America WK. I'll be right back. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Those, those sound pretty good, right? Those must be pretty swell. And Tom Cotton said, tell us what they are. And the White House said, no such deals. Kerry said, no such deals. You're lying. This morning, Kerry said, oh, oh, I guess there are. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK.
Welcome to America WK. This is Andrew WK. And thank you again so much for being part of this moment. This maybe very minor breakthrough moment. But I think uh, focusing on these types of phenomenon actually do help them happen. Noticing them when they do occur, appreciating them, absorbing what goodness we can from them, and letting, them, letting those, those feelings direct us to try to give us some clarity, some purpose in the midst of all the chaos. Because perhaps that chaos, which is so often largely self-created, is all just not the answer, not real life, not reality. It may be an aspect of reality, but it's sitting on top of it and obscuring what we would prefer to understand as real life or truth. I didn't used to think this way. I was much more torn between the idea of real and not real and didn't think they were discernible. And they may not be, or they may not be as easily discernible as I would like them or as I'm trying to make them sound here. But that's where I think we can follow this undeniable power because it, it, it feels different. The clarity feels different than the confusion. We have to be able to have some kind of trust and faith in those good, powerful feelings. We don't need to doubt those. I used to doubt everything trying to get away from that. I'm trying to doubt, doubting at this point. Maybe things aren't that complicated. Maybe we don't need to second guess, third guess, fourth guess, and overthink all these situations. Maybe life isn't that confusing. I think as a very young person, life seems pretty straightforward. And then we realize we have the power to question things and the power to second guess things, including ourselves. And then we develop the power to even start second guessing, second guessing. And at some point, we hope we find our way back or our way towards some deeper, simpler understanding that doesn't look to, I guess, strip life away of what makes it intriguing and puzzling because a lot of the perplexing aspects of life deserve our pondering, but that there are moments of deep truth that mean something, that go beyond our mind's ability to intellectualize them and debate them and pick them apart. They stand on their own as great monoliths of power and reality. And really, all our other efforts in life should be to learn from those monoliths, to worship those monoliths, to respect them, and to hopefully bring about and build additional ones so that these guide stones of truth can continue to show us and so many other folks the way to actually live, that maybe there really is a way to live. It's not just a big free-for-all, that there might actually be right things to do that are so right and so undeniable that to go against them or to avoid them or to not do them will actually cause pain and suffering. And maybe the pain and suffering that we see around the world is from 
essentially not following the rules. I never used to think that it could be that easy. Or rather, not easy, but that simple, that pure. That there were laws that existed in the world that we didn't make. That Not our laws. Laws. Laws like gravity. Laws that exist in a field that we can't necessarily see, but we can see the results of following or not following them. And then these moments of personal clarity, these breakthroughs, we are encountering the undeniable knowledge of those laws. We see the cause and effect all laid out as clear as day. And maybe that clarity fades a bit after that moment has passed, but our understanding of what we saw there usually remains or even grows. We may not be able to feel it as closely as we did when it happened, but we can't deny what we encountered and what it meant. And hopefully we can build our life around a collection of these moments, chain them together, string together enough of these days enough of these experiences, enough of these moments of truth to actually have something to hold on to, to see us through those moments when we don't have as clear access to the truth. We have them in reserve. Another example that really uh, has stuck with me involves a, a police officer who, if you look this up, you'll, you'll be able to Find You may even be familiar with his work. He works in the, I guess, narcotics division of his police department. And he's uh, compiled collections of mugshots of different drug offenders being brought in after they've been arrested. And they've usually been addicted or a heavy user of the drug crystal methamphetamine, crystal meth. And his photo series is called Faces of Meth. And it's a truly shocking, horrifying, very powerful, and very simple display where you see a person go from one phase into the next of human decay, essentially, as they've fallen deeper and deeper into their battles with this drug. Now, like many people, I initially assumed that this cop was kind of exploiting these people or kind of making fun of it in a way, or at least the way I saw the photos being posted. I didn't feel as though there was a lot of compassion for the people. And I had my own stereotypical thoughts of police officers that maybe he didn't really like these people. He thought they were sort of less than human, I imagined. Uh, these were all just sort of scattered, not very clear thoughts that I was having in my assumptions about faces of meth and this officer. And then I saw an interview with him, and he said something that changed me forever. First of all, you could tell he was completely shattered. You could see in his eyes a complete emotional connection to every single one of these people that he had documented in these photos and that there was a level of compassion that went so far beyond what I could even imagine into a sense of duty 
and to a sense of obli- that he felt he was obligated to help these people. And what he said was, people don't understand. They think these are just drug addicts or, and I'm paraphrasing, just losers or people that have nothing. He said, these are members of our community. They're still members of our community, meaning they're still members of the human race. And he has to help them. That, that, that right there changed the way that I thought about all kinds of things, including police officers. This is America WK. We'll be right back. You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. They have already come out and said that any legislation that passes in the House right now that tries to restrict federal funds from sanctuary cities will be vehemently opposed by the White House. You see, they don't want the laws of the executive branch. Federal law, the executive branch is supposed to enforce this. The executive branch doesn't want to when it comes to immigration. But they also don't want the heat for rewriting these laws. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, the king of partying himself, your friend and mine, Andrew W.K. Welcome back to America W.K. We've been talking about breakthrough experiences that either happen to you personally or happen to someone else and that you can relate to. And in turn, the experience unfolds within you. And I was just talking about the police officer who has run this Faces of Meth for crystal methamphetamine users uh, compiling their mug shots. And the way he looked at his work with these victims of this drug or these users of this drug blew my mind because he pointed out that these people cannot be cast aside, that he cared about these individuals sometimes perhaps even more than they cared about themselves. And then I even felt in that moment that he cared about me. And he had never even met me. We cannot shut out the suffering of other people. We have to develop the strength to fathom the suffering of the entire human race. That may not be possible. Or it may border on the impossible. But I remember hearing a quote from a very prominent politician's mother who said she didn't like to burden her mind by thinking of these sad thoughts. And that was one of the most horrifying statements I'd ever heard, especially from a a prominent figure associated with world leaders. The suffering of anyone else is the suffering of ourselves. And to understand that as an idea is one thing. But to develop the ability to actually feel it and believe it is another. And it is dangerous and it is risky because that's a lot of suffering to take in. It's a lot of pain to feel. Most of us, including myself, are probably not able to really even approach feeling one tiny small fraction of 1% of the world's suffering. 
But we must try to go there. Because ultimately, when we see these people who are suffering, they are not just our neighbors or members of our community. They are our relatives. And if we're bold enough and strong enough to realize it, they really are us. That person is you. In a different skin. A different embodiment. It's a crazy idea to think of. But that seems to be the truth. And so when someone is compelled by a force that is indescribable, unknown to them, to jump onto the train tracks to try to save someone else's life, that's because they're saving their own life. When someone finds a level of compassion and generosity that allows them to forgive and even give to the person that just betrayed them, who didn't deserve necessarily their love and support, that's because that person is them. And when someone sacrifices their own interests and their own dreams and their own pursuits to go care for an ailing family member or friend, it's because that person is them. And that makes it all much more clear as to why some people are moved to do these things and to live this way. It's because they understand and see what is really going on. And I pray and wish for that clarity myself and certainly for you. And if you already have it, if you've already attained it, please share it with other people in the most gracious ways that you can. Continue to live as you are and understand that you have not only the respect of so many people around you, even if you can't see it, you have the respect of truth. You have the respect of reality on your side. And that should be more powerful and meaningful than any other acknowledgments or awards that you could receive. The goal is to have every moment in life in some small way or big way be some sort of breakthrough, some sort of endless transformation of big and small experiences taking us closer and closer to what is really going on. That we're all part of one giant experience together and whether we can actually really fathom the truth that we're all one thing or that even if we can't feel that way that we're part of one experience that we're sharing together let us continue to encourage each other to develop unreasonable amounts of kindness illogical levels of generosity a type of compassion and love that doesn't make sense. Because in that very important, urgent, crucial way, that is actually the only thing that's going to make any sense out of the mess that it seems we found ourselves in. And it does make a very type of real sense to think that the most obvious, but in some ways counterintuitive, 
truth, and mode of behavior would be what would save us from all the mistakes we've made. Just trying to be a better person. Let those breakthroughs happen. Notice them when they happen to others and encourage it. Thank you very much for joining me. This has been another episode of America WK. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this. This has been Andrew WK. I love you. A party for being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network.